Baptist. I'm glad that you could join us this evening. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it up to James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. If you don't have a Bible, there will be one right in front of you in the pew, or you can look up on the screen. Uh, my name is Will Face, and I'm the youth pastor here. The last time uh, I preached with you, I only had one child. Now I have two, so I'm much more sleepy tonight. Uh, but I promise I'll stay awake if you'll stay awake. Uh, so I'm excited for the opportunity to share God's Word with you this evening. Uh, we began several weeks ago looking at the book of James, and we're going to be walking through uh, over the next several months, verse by verse, through this book. Uh, and so tonight we want to begin looking uh, where we picked, left off last time, looking at verses 19 to 27. And so I want to go ahead and read this uh, for us this evening, and we'll dive right in. James 1, 19 to 27 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We saw several weeks ago the author of this book is James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Most likely James was not a believer during Jesus' time on earth. And after the resurrection, James is converted. After his conversion, James becomes one of the leaders of the Christian church. And so in light of this, James writes this book to the believers who are scattered throughout Palestine after Stephen's persecution. So the picture here that we have is a church that is being persecuted, and James writes this letter to these believers, encouraging them to be obedient to God's Word. James is a very practical book that calls believers to spiritual maturity and wholeness. This is what James desires in his writing. He desires for those that follow after Christ to be mature in their spiritual walk and to, to come to wholeness in their relationship with Him. And that's our challenge this evening as well, that we as well would mature in our faith, that each day would be an opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with the Lord until we reach heaven. And so the book is influenced heavenly by James or Jesus' teaching in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 or 7, and also the first few chapters of Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. So as you're reading through James, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount or if you've read through Proverbs recently, you will probably pick up on ideas that are already written in Scripture. And James takes those ideas and continues them on in his book. And so James' book centers on this idea that genuine faith acts. Genuine faith acts. That genuine faith is, it leads to action in our lives. If you were to read through from James chapter 1 all the way to the end of his book, you would find that there are over 
50 imperatives. Imperatives are these commands or these call to action. And so James here describes for us the distinguishing marks of a Christian in verses 19 to 27. He wants us to see what does it mean for us to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to act out our faith in our daily lives? What does it mean tomorrow when we go to work or we go uh, home or we spend time with friends? What does it mean for us to live out our faith, not just when we're in church, but also when we're living our daily lives? And so as he lays out the groundwork for living out this Christian life, we are met with this reality that the call of a Christian is not just to fill a pew, but instead it is a call for Jesus to fill and influence every aspect of our daily lives. That a call for a Christian is not just to simply fill a pew, to not just attend a, to attend a church, but instead it is a call for Jesus to fill and to influence every aspect of our daily lives. James says if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you profess Him as your Lord and Savior, it means that it will drastically change your day-to-day life. It will drastically change your thoughts, your words, your emotions, your actions, the way that you spend your time. And so James' desire, what he wants to happen is he wants his audience, the people that will receive this letter, to hear the Word of God and then have a desire to be changed by the Word of God. Not only to hear this book and, or to read these letters and to, to think about what James is saying, but also have a desire to be changed in the way that James is calling them to. And then as they, are de- they have that desire to be changed, that it would lead them to a call or that it would lead them to obedience. That that desire for change would lead them to be obedient to God's Word. And so this evening, as we look at our text, we want to divide it into three main sections, and we're going to look at the three sections of distinguishing marks of a true Christian according to James. So what does it mean for us to be a true Christian? What does it look like in our lives? What are the the practical ways that we live out our faith each and every day? The first is found in verses 19 to 21, and it's this, that true Christians are marked by renewed speech and emotions. True Christians, those that truly follow after Jesus Christ, are marked by renewed speech and emotions. We could say it this way, if I'm a follower of Christ, then I should be marked by renewed speech and emotions. Secondly, we'll look in verses 22 to 25, we'll see that true Christians are marked by a response of belief and obedience to God's Word. So not only do our emotions and speech change, but also Christians are marked by a response of belief and obedience to God's Word. And then thirdly, we're going to look in verses 26 to 27 at the idea that true Christians are marked by a compassion for others and separation from the world. Compassion for others and separation from the world. And so as we look at these three sections this evening, we want to think about the main idea of the passage, and it is this, if you want to write it down or just put it away from memory. James is wanting us to understand this, that a humble acceptance of God's Word must lead to faithful obedience to God's Word. A humble acceptance of God's Word must lead to faithful obedience to God's Word. This is the well-known passage of hearing and doing. This is what James wants us to understand. As we hear God's Word, as we humbly accept God's Word, we do God's Word. It leads to faithful obedience 
to his word. So let's look at verses 19 to 21 together. Once again, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James begins this section of text once again with an imperative. He says, know this. He's he's calling us to action. He says, know this. Understand this. Put Put this into your life. He says, my beloved brothers. Once again, we see him addressing this audience as someone that he loves and has affection for. He desires for them to grow and to know who Jesus Christ is and what he has called them to. And so he's writing this with love and affection for those who would receive it. He desires for them to fully grasp the truth of God's Word and live it out in their daily lives. He wants them to know it, to to claim it, to understand it, to put it into practice. And then he gives us this command that he wants to follow. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James wants the believers to realize that when we do not listen and do not restrain our speech, that often it leads to quick-tempered anger. Now, if you're like me, as I read this passage, there's passages in Scripture that you read and you're kind of wondering, how does this apply to me? I didn't have to ask this this morning or this evening as I got ready to prepare. I deal with not wanting to listen and being quick to speak and being quick to anger. And so James knows that as believers, we're going to struggle with these things. And so he says, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. He says this type of anger that that is produced from this does not align with the type of behavior that is pleasing to the Lord. And so we are called as followers of Jesus Christ to conduct our lives by the Word of God and based on His standards. James is saying our conversations and our emotions should display our renewed heart. That as we leave here this evening, that our conversations and our emotions should display our renewed heart. To those that we talk with, to those that we interact with this week, they should be able to look at our speech and our emotions and they should say that there is something different about them, that there is a renewed heart within them. And so James knows our temptation as sinful beings is to be unwise in our speech, to say things that we will likely regret, to say things that we know isn't from the Lord but is from our sinful desires and sinful temptations. And so he says, knowing that your speech and emotions are going to be a daily battle, he's calling the believers to turn from filthiness and wickedness and to receive with humility the Word of God. The idea of putting away here that he uses, James is referring to this terminology of taking off a garment. It's this idea of completely removing something and laying it aside. And so he says, in place of the filthy and wicked speech and behavior, take that and place it aside and instead be implanted in the Word of God. Let the Word of God take root in your life. And so in order for the Word to take root in our lives, two things must happen. One, we have to remove that which is contrary to God's Word. So James says, in order for the Word to take place in your life, to take root, you must remove uncontrolled speech and uncontrolled emotions. And then he says, once you do that, we must come to God with humility and meekness. And so James is borrowing here this idea that Jesus uses in his parable of the sower. He compares the Word of God to a seed and the human heart to soil. 
And he says, accept the seed in the soil of your heart. He says, we prepare the soil of our heart by removing the weeds in order that there can be fruitfulness. And we do that humbly by acknowledging that we are filled with filthiness and wickedness. That there is an issue in our lives and that we must humble ourselves and come to Christ with humility and meekness. So to receive the implanted Word is to allow God's Word to influence every aspect of our lives. To, to truly receive this in our lives, to allow God's Word to take root in us, it means that it influences every aspect of our lives. And when this occurs, the outcome of receiving God's Word, he says, is salvation. He says, receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. So first we see that true Christians are marked by renewed speech and emotion. Secondly, true Christians are marked by a response of belief and obedience to God's Word. Look at verse 22 with me. He says, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who, look in, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As many of you know, I have two children in our, our family now. They came up uh, on stage this morning and lit the hope candle, and I was hoping that they wouldn't burn down the church this morning as we made our way up uh, the, to the stage. But Hatcher uh, is going to be three years old in March. I don't know how the time has flown by, but he'll be three, so he's making his way through the terrible twos, uh, depending on what day it is. And then Hadley, our new little girl, will be one month tomorrow. So our hands are full, uh, our eyes are heavy, and our hearts are full as well. But one of the biggest struggles that we face with Hatcher is getting him to listen. Now, if you have ever been around children, if you've ever had children, if you've ever worked with children, uh, then you realize that sometimes children don't like to listen. And so the, the difficulty is that Hatcher hears us, but he chooses not to listen. So it, it's not that his ears don't work. And sometimes we ask him, is there anything in your ears? Are your ears working okay? And he'll say yes, just to make sure that everything's going well. It's not that he has a problem hearing, it's that he's choosing to have a problem hearing. And so some days it's humorous, we'll ask him to do something, and he'll, he'll know we're, we're trying to get him to do something, and so he'll kind of drop his head and he won't make eye contact. And I'll say, Hatcher, come here, and he'll slowly start to grin, and he'll try to turn his head, and I said, I see you, and he, you know, then he'll start laughing, and then I'll have to come over and get him and do whatever I want him to do, and it'll be a little game. Those times are fine. At other times, he deliberately chooses not to listen to what we're saying. So we ask him to come to the table, or we ask him to eat his supper, or we ask him to, to clean up his toys, or do whatever else it is that a parent tells a two-year-old to do. And all of a sudden, that passage that James just wrote about saying, be slow to anger, becomes a real challenge. All of a sudden, I realize that I'm a sinner and that I'm struggling with controlling my anger because my two-year-old doesn't want to listen to me. And so the issue isn't that he can't hear. The issue is that he doesn't want to. That he doesn't do what we ask of him. Now, unfortunately, this is not just a problem for two-year-olds. It's a problem for believers as well. James points out that as a follower of Christ, we can find ourselves hearing God's Word, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, being active in a church, 
and continually hearing God's Word, but not actually listening and obeying God's Word. What a scary thought that we could find ourselves hearing God's Word, reading God's Word, being immersed in God's Word, but yet we actually aren't listening to God's Word. And he says the problem isn't that we're listening to God's Word. The problem is that we only listen. It doesn't lead us to do anything. I know that Hatcher hears me. He can can respond with whatever I've told him oftentimes, but the problem is that he hears it, but he doesn't really listen. He doesn't apply what I've asked him to do. And as believers, we can find ourselves reading God's Word and studying God's Word and, and reading through our Bible in a year and attending church every single Sunday, and yet we never truly listen to God's Word. We never allow it to change us from the inside. And so to truly accept the Word, we must be hearers as well as doers. This is James' challenge. Don't just hear God's Word, but do God's Word. He's saying here obedience is a distinguishing mark of the Christian. To be a true Christian means that you are obedient to the Word of God. And so he says if you merely hear the Word of God and do not act, you're deceiving yourselves. He uses this illustration. He says it's it's as ridiculous as someone who looks intently into a mirror And they stare at their face and they turn away and they forget what they look like. He wants his audience as well as us this evening to be marked by hearing and obeying God's Word. And when the Word of God is implanted into our hearts as it should be, it must and will lead to action. As believers, we cannot be marked by forgetfulness. In James' illustration, he states that a man looks intently at his natural face. This word for intently in the Greek can refer to stooping down or looking at something closely. When Hatcher and I go outside and play and run around in the yard, oftentimes I'll I'll catch him running around chasing the ball or doing something, and then all of a sudden he'll stop and he'll start looking down at the grass. And he'll bend all the way down as close as he can, and he'll get his face right in front of the grass, and then all of a sudden he'll look up and he'll say, Daddy, a bug! And he'll want me to come over and look, and I'll look, and there's this little bitty bug, and he's stooping down and looking intently at something. And so James is saying that we are called to look intently into the Word of God and not walk away forgetting at what it says, but walking away in obedience and action. I read a quote by John Piper once that has stuck with me as I've approached Scripture reading and thought about what it means to approach God's Word, and he says this, he says, "...dig for gold." rather than rake for leaves when you take up the Scriptures. Dig for gold rather than rake for leaves when you take up the Scriptures. If you've ever raked leaves, you know that it's not very hard to do. You just skim off the top and everything kind of moves where it needs to. But he's saying if you dig for gold, you have to dig deep. You have to be intentional. You have to work towards it. But the reward is so much greater than the leaves that you would rake. And so James is saying, dig for gold. He's saying, look intently at God's Word. Be transformed by God's Word, both internally and externally. Then James tells us that the one who hears the Word of God and does the Word of God will be blessed. So he says, those that hear and do, they will be blessed. And so true Christians are marked by renewed speech and emotions. The way that we react, the way that we speak as believers, it is changed by the Word of God. And then also true Christians are marked by a response of belief in the Word of God and the message of the Gospel and obedience to that Word. Thirdly, true Christians are marked by a compassion for others 
and separation from the world. Look at verses 26 to 27 with me. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When I was in high school, I decided I wanted to start playing tennis, and me and a few friends uh, started playing tennis just for the fun of it, and we got to where we really enjoyed it, and we decided, hey, we're going to try to try out for the team, and so we all went out together, and thankfully we all made it, and I started playing tennis and got a cheap little tennis racket and uh, started progressing a little bit and was able to make the team and play, and so as I continued playing, I realized that, that I would like a nicer tennis racket. Well, if you've ever played tennis, you know that tennis rackets can range from 15 to $20 to several hundred dollars. And so uh, me being a tightwad when it comes to money, I said, I'm sure I can get a really, really nice racket, but find it at a really, really good deal somewhere online. And uh, I was to the point where I was just starting to use eBay. If you've ever used eBay, you can go on there and find pretty much everything you could think of from around the world. And so I looked up this racket that I wanted some professional tennis player use, and I knew that if I had that racket, that I would be the best tennis player on the team. But in order to get that racket, it was going to take a lot of money. And so I found a tennis racket, this exact racket that I wanted, for about $40 uh, on eBay. Now, this was normally like a two dollars or $300 tennis racket. And it said, brand new, in box, everything is good to go. I couldn't believe it. It was too good to be true. You'll find out in a minute it was too good to be true. And uh, so I, I, I paid through eBay. I, I get this notification, and I wait for this tennis racket. And if you've ever been waiting for something to come in the mail, you know how exciting it is, and you can't wait to open it and can't wait to use it. And this tennis racket comes in the mail, and it's gorgeous. It's perfect. It's got a nice bag to keep it protected, and I pull this tennis racket out and look at it, and it's got all the stickers and the bright colors. And then as I pick it up, I kind of realize that it doesn't feel as, as good as I expected it would. And I kind of shake it back and forth, and it rattles, which it, it's not supposed to do that. And I look at the, the strings, and rather than being really tight and bouncing the tennis ball, it, it almost looks like they just put little pieces of plastic by it. And I look at the little end cap on it, and that pops off pretty easy. And all of a sudden, I start moving things around, and I realize that I think I got a counterfeit. And so I look at this tennis racket, and from a distance, it, it looks perfect. I mean, it's, it's exactly what I think that I want. But then as I examine it and as I go to play tennis with it, you hit the tennis ball and it, it doesn't make the sound that it's supposed to be making and it doesn't go across the net as it's supposed to and I'm not the best person on the tennis team and so I realized that there was something wrong with the racket. And so I looked up online what could be happening and then I found out that people were making counterfeits and they were selling them. And if you just looked at them, you, would, you wouldn't be able to tell from just looking at it that there was something wrong with it. But then as you held it, as you examined it closely, as you tried to use it, you realized that it was really worthless, that it was, it was even cheaper than the little Walmart racket that I could have gotten if I'd gone down to the store. And so James reminds us that we, in this passage, if we do not bridle our tongue, that our religion is worthless. That from a distance, many of us can appear like we are being the real thing that we're true Christians, that we are followers of Jesus Christ, but as we get closer to each other, we realize that we're flawed, that we're sinful, that we struggle with our speech, that we don't bridle our tongue. And James says, when we do this, we deceive our hearts. It's just like this person on eBay who deceived me in thinking that I was getting the real thing. James says the real thing is someone who controls their tongue. 
He says, it is possible for us to think of ourselves as religious and yet deceive ourselves. And so he says, our speech is a marker for our true spiritual state. If you want to know how you're doing in the Christian life, are you maturing as you should? Have you reached the pinnacle of perfection? Think about your speech. Think about the people that you interact with. He then tells us how we should live as followers of Christ. He says, pure and undefiled religion is marked by compassion for others and separation from the world. He says to true religion, so religion that is worthless is someone who doesn't bridle their tongue, who is being deceived in their heart, but he says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so what James is saying is we are called as true Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, to show mercy and compassion to those who are oppressed and in need. So in Bible times, in ancient society, widows and orphans would have been the the first go-to group that was in need at this time. They would have been overlooked. They would have been oppressed. And so James says those that are oppressed, those that the society cares least about as believers you should care about. You should be marked by mercy and compassion for those that are oppressed and in need. And he says, true Christians, you must be marked by ministries of mercy. We as followers of Christ should be looking for opportunities to supply physical needs in order to be given opportunities to provide spiritual needs as well. James says, use the things around you, use the needs around you in order to not only meet physical needs, but also to open the door for you to meet spiritual needs as well. And so he also says the world, or he says, secondly, not only are we called to have ministries of mercy and show compassion for others, but secondly, James tells us that true Christians separate themselves from the world. What he's saying here, the world, the way that he is referring to this is that which is ungodly and an earthly worldview that is in contradiction to God's design and purpose. So he says the worldview, the ungodly and earthly worldview, contradicts what God's design and purposes are. So he says we're called not to allow the desires of the flesh and our sinful desires to stain us. And what he's saying here is this takes a conscious effort. As I mentioned, I have a newborn and toddler at home, and so I find myself getting stains on my clothes like never before. Every time I look down, I've got a a grease stain or I've got some kind of food on my shoulder. And so uh, we keep bottles of Shout and OxyClean spray at our house by the truckloads. And it's like every time I wash my clothes, I've got some kind of stain that I'm trying to make sure that I can get out. And what I find is that having a two-year-old who crawls all over you when you're trying to eat or grabs something and then leaves it on his hands and puts it on your shirt or grabs your leg, that if I'm not conscious about washing his hands and making sure he's clean, that my clothes are going to be stained. And this is what James says, is if if we're not careful, if we're not consciously thinking about our day-to-day lives, we will find that our lives will be stained as well. Not by food and grease, but by the stain of sin. And so he says, as believers, a distinguishing mark of a true Christian is that you are not stained from the world, that you are separated from the world. And so he says, if we are not actively guarding ourselves against this world, we are going to find ourselves easily contaminated by its influence. 
Each and every day we must consciously think about how am I separating myself from the world? How am I protecting myself from the temptations of Satan? How am I moving towards spiritual maturity and wholeness in my life? How are my speech patterns and my emotions and my actions and my, my mercy and compassion to others? How is my love for others changing each and every day? So James says we must devote ourselves to compassion for others and a separation from the world. And as we read through this passage, it's very practical. It's, very, it's almost very elementary, but it's one of those things that each of us are going to struggle with probably by the time we get home. If not by the time we get home, by the time tomorrow or the end of this week. James is saying being a believer is difficult. We must realize that accepting God's Word must lead to faithful obedience to God's Word. And so if we're going to be, be professing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we must think about how is my speech and emotions reflecting my relationship with Jesus Christ? Are the distinguishing marks of a true Christian evident in my life today? If others were to look at my life, could they see these characteristics in my life? Would they be able to say that I'm a Christian? And if not, then what needs to be taken away and put away? What needs to be taken off and put away from our lives? What is keeping us from being characterized by these things? Have I humbled and accepted the Word of Christ in my life with meekness? Am I approaching God not only for salvation, but sanctification? Is every day am I humbling myself, acknowledging my need for a Savior and my need for Christ to work in my life? Or am I being deceived and not being obedient to God's Word? Am I finding myself being disobedient to God's Word, to, to sitting under the teaching of Scripture, to, to reading my Bible every single day, but then closing in it and forgetting what it says, not allowing it to have any change in my life, either internal or external? Do I control my tongue? Do I care for the oppressed? Do I separate myself from the world? These are the things that we must ask ourselves each and every day, and it's what we ask ourselves this evening as we get ready to close from this passage. Are we hearing and doing the Word of God? Are we marked as true believers? Are we humbly accepting God's Word, and is it leading to faithful obedience to God's Word? That's our challenge as we get ready to depart this evening, is as we leave and as we think about our lives this week, to examine ourselves, to look at Scripture, and not just allow it to be a 30-minute session on a Sunday night, but to, to let that Scripture permeate our lives, to allow it to soak in and to take root in our lives, to allow the implanted Word to change us from the inside out so that our obedience is seen to those around us in order that God can be glorified in and through us. Please join me in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And God, we know that we cannot live this Christian life apart from the saving grace that you give us through Jesus Christ. And so, we, God, we humbly acknowledge our need for the implanted Word in our hearts. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. We, he would convict us of areas that we are falling short. God, may we be marked by a controlled tongue, a care for the oppressed, controlled emotions, being obedient to Your Word, caring and loving for those that we come in contact with each and every day. So God, may we as a church, may we as individual believers, may we humbly accept your word and may it lead us to faithfulness and obedience to that word.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Jonathan comes to lead us in one last hymn. It's a hymn of commitment. It's an opportunity for you to respond to God's word. You can do that in the pew or you can come down front if you would like to. I'll be at the front. Please stand as we sing.